Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're watching this podcast. As you can tell, I am in the classroom. So this is the classroom. I know it's very exciting. Oh, I can't even see. Um, so this is a typical classroom at the university where I teach in Toronto. And I'm very excited to have a window, to be honest. So welcome to the Goddess Project podcast. Um, today, we're going to talk about mermaids, sirens and mermaids. And we're going to look at um, where, what is the story of sirens, sort of where they come from? What is their heritage, if you will? And how did they become mermaids? You know, how do um, half women, half bird creatures become half women, half fish creatures, which actually um, is very smooth um, surprisingly smooth. So, uh, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm very excited. Um, this research took a little bit of time in the sense that, um, not only of course, is it first week back on campus, but, um, there is a lot. Uh, So for the sirens, as we'll see, when we look at the Greeks, you know, they're sort of very, um, typical or traditional kind of, um, stories and they begin and end in a way and then when we get to the mermaids it just it just blows up um and it connects to other cultures and other uh geographical spaces and it's just it becomes a lot and so that's when I really started going oh my gosh there's a lot of mermaid lore and I also um went down the rabbit hole of uh the ape the aquatic ape theory which is fascinating, the aquatic ape theory. So if you would like me to do a podcast on the aquatic ape theory, uh, please let me know in the comments. I was going to do it as the after the podcast, but then I went down the rabbit hole of the Starbucks logo. And so the Starbucks logo, of course, is a siren or a mermaid. And then I went down that rabbit hole because uh, I was like, what is this? And then Anyways, we're going to, so after the podcast for today, for our episode for after the podcast, which you can find on on Patreon, um, it's going to be on the Starbucks logo. And is it demonic or not? Which is it's so fascinating. Yeah, so much to say about that. Uh, so, so welcome to the podcast. I hope that you are prepared to have a good time. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Carla Ionescu. You can find me online anywhere at Artemis Expert. Um, and my area of expertise is ancient history, particularly around the goddess, but especially around the goddess Artemis. I am, I wrote a book called She Who Hunts on Artemis, and I've got a few more books to publish. Uh, in fact, I was just thinking today of looking for a publisher um, for my next couple of books on Artemis. So again, if you have any suggestions or know any publishing uh, houses that are interested in goddess lore and... Um, you think would be a good fit, please again, leave that in the comments or, or DM me anywhere on social media, etc. Um, And I was going to tell you something else. Oh, yes. And I'll be in London, UK, um, because there's a London, Ontario, for those of you that are not in Canada. Um, I'll be in London, UK in a couple of weeks, doing a retreat uh, workshop on uh, the goddess Persephone and the descent into the darkness. I know you, some of you may know that I did a podcast on Demeter and Persephone, which was really great. I had a lot of fun, but I don't know that I focused on Persephone and her power over darkness and descent 
um, in the way that I plan to do in this retreat. And I was just thinking that perhaps out of this retreat will come a podcast for season two. Oh, okay. Yes. And so uh, this is the official sort of last episode uh, of season one. We do have one more episode next week, which will be uh, like the finale, where I will be answering the questions that um, people are sending me. So I've been, if you haven't followed me on social media, I've been posting, ask me a question about goddesses, about anything. And people have been asking a bunch of fantastic questions. Uh, so if you do have questions, you know, this is your last chance to stick them in there. And so what I'll do next week is I will have a podcast where I'll literally just be answering questions and talking um, on the podcast. Uh, but the questions are about the goddess, about my experience with Artemis, about everything. They're really cool. You guys are asking fantastic questions. And so I'm very excited to answer those. And so that will be it for our season one. And then I'm going to take a little bit of a break because I have a full teaching schedule I have a full teaching schedule, actually, my teaching schedule, I'm just going to show it to you guys looks kind of like this. If you're not, if you're not watching it, that's okay. But my teaching schedule looks kind of like this. So I teach all the time. Um, five days a week. Yeah, that's pretty cray cray. Anyways, that's the norm when you're uh, an associate professor at university or contract professor, like we say here in Canada. Um, and so, um, but I'll be traveling a little bit as well. And I want to go to Crete in the winter. Uh, so we'll see how all that goes. Yeah, a little overambitious. And if that isn't enough, I'm also, I also am going to be starting my own course. The very first one, I have a few planned, but I'm starting my very, very first course um, in October. I'll probably let you guys know more. Uh, it's a short course. Uh, it's called uh, the five five myths that five goddesses and their myths or something like that. I haven't thought of a, a, a title, but basically I'm going to pick five goddesses and all the things that people think about them. And then we're going to look at some of the truth about them as well. So that's really, that's going to be exciting. Um, if you want to know more about that, you can follow me at the Artemis center or check out the Artemis research center. Cause that's uh, the platform that they're going to come through. So I think that's about it for, um, for information and uh, updates on what's going on. Uh, I hope that you are all well and having a great Friday. So that being said, let me share my screen with you guys. I think I say this every time that it, this is my favorite part. Um, as a visual learner, my favorite part about um, doing this podcast or one of my favorites, because I do like talking about this material a lot. Here we go. But my favorite part is pulling up the um, pictures and all the material that I can find. Um, so the title of this episode is Sirens and Mermaids, Songs of Death and Destruction, right? And this is episode 19 um, out of 20 episodes per season. So it's very, very exciting. Um, I can't believe that we're here. You know, I started this in March and I just wanted to talk about fun things. And I'm so thankful for those of you that follow me and those of you that have shared this podcast because it has really, really made it. It has been such a great experience and talking to some of you guys and just just discussing goddess things and meeting some of you guys online, obviously, 
has been fantastic. So, and thank you to those of you who follow me and have subscribed to my Patreon. Um, I can't thank you enough for supporting me really, because what that means is uh, what I'm hoping is to be able to um, travel and, and vlog and, and bring as much sort of primary experience of sacred spaces as possible. And in order to do that, I can't have a teaching schedule like what I just showed you. <laughs> I need a, I need a much uh, uh, less <laughs> busy schedule. And so um, this is why I'm hoping to start on my own and, and using Patreon and using the courses and everything else so that I will be able then to freely travel and, and bring you to places with me uh, where that have not been published or have not been seen or have not been discussed because honestly, for so long, some of these sacred spaces and even some of the statues and some of the artifacts have really not been given the kind of attention that I feel that they deserve, you know? Um, and so often I will post pictures or I'll take pictures of things that people will be like, oh my goodness, I never knew that was there or whatever. And so or that existed or anything like that. And so I really, really want to bring as much, not everyone can travel and not everyone can go to these places. And so I would, and, and I love, because I solo travel, I love bringing sort of people virtually with me. Uh, in fact, I was actually thinking of doing some cave travel where I'm actually going live. So you guys can come with me uh, live. So I'm very excited to do all these things and hopefully they'll all work out. Um, but in the meantime, yep, yeah, it's work, 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 uh, to fund myself and, and life. So let's talk about sirens and mermaids. I've promised you sirens and mermaids and, uh, and so let's do it. Let's begin with, uh, the Greek. We'll talk about the Greek sirene, as we call it, or, um, in Romanian, we say sirena too, or, or sirena. Yeah. Sirena. Uh, in fact, actually, now that I think of it, we don't have a word for mermaid. We only say sirena. So, uh, so again, language itself is also important. We'll talk about how language uh, actually moved the sirens from sirens to mermaids or the sort of overlapping words, right? Because often if I say mermaid or siren, you have the same image in your mind. I'm not sure how many people, if I say siren, think of this image of half woman, half bird. Um, in fact, I would say, you know, 90% of people don't think of that image right away. And also I think because in popular culture, excuse me, sirens have been, uh, sorry, half woman, half bird have been associated so long with harpies. And so that association caused a bit of confusion, right? So when you think about a harpy, you tend to think about women with wings and claws, um, and we've when we talked about harpies in in our last episode or a couple episodes ago, that's how they are. And so often the depiction of Greek sirens and harpies is very similar. I would say that the difference between harpies and Greek sirens is the how do I say this? The fact that sirens look a like literally like birds. Actually, I'm going to show you some images. Literally in the original, their bodies were full birds and they had just the head of a woman. Where when you think about harpies, they tend to be more like uh, demonic angels sort of depiction, right? 
um, their hands and feet are claws, but they're, they're full bodied women with wings, you know? Um, and so it's really fascinating, uh, these bird women, literally a bird head. So they were half birds, half beautiful maidens, give or take. Uh, some people say that in the old days, like sort of pre-Homer, they were thought to be ugly, ugly maidens. But anyways, by the time we get to Homer, they're beautiful maidens. They sing an enchanting song. Okay. Um, and so this their song lures passing soldiers to their islands and subsequently to their doom. Okay. Now, sirens are said to be the daughters of the river god Achilles. Archelius and the muse and they were fated to die if somebody survived their singing so their purpose was that they would sing so they're on these islands they would sing and the sailors should come in so that they could be destroyed however if the sailor passes by undestroyed that would lead to the destruction of the sirens so when Odysseus passes by unaffected by their song because he's tied up to the pole. We'll talk about that in one second in more detail. Um, apparently, they throw themselves to their death um, and die. Okay? So they were not half fish, half women. They were always half birds, half women. Okay. Uh, like I said, in the early depictions, they were cast as terrifying creatures, but the Greeks and Romans, especially in art, created them more and more beautiful as time passed. Then, as more time passed and we moved into the Middle Ages, they became associated with lust. Okay, so that's where the connection. Um, there's a connection made with mermaids, as we'll see. That there's a there's a lusting, not just so in the original bird women. Let's say the purpose is destruction. That is, the sirens are calling you to your doom. Later on, when we look at mermaids. The purpose is seduction and destruction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so they become associated with lust uh, later on. And like I said, they were the daughters of the river god Achelios and the muse. And depending on which source you read, which ancient source you read, there were sometimes the, there's two sirens or three sirens. So, you know, when we think about sirens or bird women on this island calling to Odysseus or calling to the Argonauts, we think of like an island populated by birds with female heads, right? Like there's a lot of them singing. But actually, in Greek history, there's only three, sometimes two. But the three, their names are Terpiscor, Melpom, Melpomin, Melpomini, excuse me, and Calliope. Um, so there's sort of this, um, specific identification of who the, um, sirens are in Homer. He only, he only says, he only points out two nameless sirens, sorry, but the three, um, are usually the ones, uh, that come up. There's also sometimes there's a name, some of their names change, um, to Texiope, Agliope and Parthenope. So, you know, you don't have this is not class. You don't have to remember these, but it's really interesting that um, there's such a selection of them and there's so much names for them. Although there's always sort of three or two nameless ones of Homer. Anyways, the sirens are there. Yeah. They're also sometimes seen as prophetic creatures for the Greeks uh, who know the future and the past. And they had sometimes much in common with the Sphinx. Right. So we talked about the Sphinx in a pre previous um, 
podcast or episode. And so often we have this depiction that they were, that they somehow, because they're, they're kind of immortal. I mean, it's weird because they can fall to their death or throw themselves off the cliff to die, especially after Odysseus passes by. But um, in a sense, they've been there for centuries and centuries. So they have that sort of immortality. And again, there's this association with um, monstery women who seduce men or kill men who also have the ability to have a prophetic ability. So very fascinating sort of material. Yeah. Um, they were said to have lived in on three rocky islands called Cyrenum, Cyrenum Scopuli, which is, that's what the Romans called them. And people said that this islands, these rocky islands of theirs were ghastly to behold because they it was full of bones, heaps and heaps of bones and flesh of victims still rotting off the dead bodies. And so um, you can even imagine uh, the smell and stench. Again, there's this weird association between bird women and like a smell or a stench. And I don't know if that's just because birds can be smelly, stenchy things. Um, but in this case, it's because of all the sailors, sailors, so like centuries of sailors, um, who, um, I guess, come off their boats and try to make it to these islands and die. Um, sometimes the sirens, the Greek sirens, were associated with flowers. And they were said that um, they lived on a flowery island called Athemusa or Anthemusa. Okay. So Virgin and Ovid um, talk about the three rocky islands, which are south of the south of Capri, if you ever want to visit them today. Um, but often, sometimes the sirens are also referred to as living in an island that has lots of flowers. And again, that is an association with Demeter and Persephone, which um, we're going to see later. Um, there's another story in which the, the sirens live in a place called Le Siranuse or Ligali, which is another small little group of islands off the coast of the Amalfi coast in Italy. So again, there's a couple of places and it'd be fantastic to visit these places and see them firsthand uh, and see if there's any sirens still living there today. Um, but, uh, but you know, no one really knows where they are. Sometimes they're actually associated with Circe's Island uh, in the Western Sea. Uh, certainly Homer says that they live, they, they're located somewhere near Circe's Island. Uh, I, uh, again, unsure and i think that has to do with skilla living there and other monsters living there so wherever they are often sirens are depicted as a place or an island that has lots of cliffs and lots of rocks because obviously the sailors are smashing themselves to death trying to swim to reach them and so that's that's key um, and every now and then they also have a meadow full of flowers where the sirens hang out obviously not the dead sailors yeah um so how are they portrayed so Homer says nothing about their outward appearance, um, but of course they have human-like features. Like I said, uh, there's a debate of whether or not they're beautiful maidens in the beginning, but however, by later date, they all become um, beautiful maidens. Sometimes they're half woman, half bird with wings. Uh, and that's a great depiction. Sometimes, like I said, they're just totally bird with a woman's head. 
Okay. So so in the in some of the Greek art, they're portrayed as just a plain bird, but a large woman's head. They have scales, they have um they have scaly feet, they have feathers, etc. They don't have arms or legs. Yeah. Um also they're often depicted among flowers. So why are they depicted among flowers? Where well, in many ways, the sirens are seen as uh, a group of immortals that are punished by Demeter. Okay. So there's there's a there's famous there's two versions of the story of the abduction of Persephone. So according to the first story, uh, Demeter turned the sirens into a bird-like monster because they felt they failed to help her daughter. And so what was happening is Persephone is hanging out in a meadow full of flowers with her companions and Hades comes and snatches her and takes her away. And so Demeter is so, so angry that they were not watching her daughter or protected her daughter when this happened. Um, and so she punishes them. And so she punishes them with a bird body because then they're responsible for going, flying around, trying to find, searching high and low, fall, calling out Persephone's name with their sweet song, but no, to no avail, Persephone is not found because obviously she's not on land. She's in the underworld. And so Demeter, in a state of rage at these handmaidens that she had turned into to birds to look for her daughter, condemns them to live forever in these bodies far away on rocky, rugged islands, singing their siren song, uh, a song with power to put body and soul into a state of fatal lethar lethargy. And so uh, this story says that when you hear a siren song, you, you're sort of fallen asleep or paralyzed. And so this explains why if a sailor jumps in the water, then they become tired or fall asleep and eventually get uh, a die. So the sirens are impossible to resist. They lure uh, si sailors to their rocky shores. And of course, then this causes shipwrecks. Uh, the, the second story of the abduction of Persephone uh, says similar, it's similar in the sense that um, the original young women immortals that were with Persephone um, don't protect her from Hades or don't see her being taken by Hades. But in this case, they are so upset and aggrieved by what happens that that and that they ask Demeter for wings themselves so that they can help uh, to search for her. Yeah. And in helping in that. And so uh, they they ask to be transformed and uh, Demeter transforms them. And then again, they go looking for Persephone. They don't find her. And in their grief, they alienate themselves to, um, to these islands and take out their anger on random sailors passing by. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the abduction of Persephone. And it's probably, I would say, the most popular story that explains why sirens exist you know the the origin story for these mythological creatures there's another story about Hera and the muses right so you know that Hera is the wife of Zeus and she she persuades the sirens into a singing contest with the muses of course the muses uh win the competition competition and then they plucked out all of the sirens feathers and make crowns of them Okay. Out of their anguish from losing the competitions, the sirens turn white and fall into the sea at Aptera, which is a which is another word for featherless, uh, where they formed the islands in the bay that were called Lukai, which is meaning white. Uh, 
And so today, for example, the Luka Islands are the islands of Nisi and Leon, and they are on the island of Crete. Excuse me. And so the idea here is that Hera played a cruel trick on the sirens and that their loss to the muses causes them to sort of rip out their own feathers in a way. So they're sort of half-bodied and then retreat to the islands. And they are such sort of uh, devastated creatures that then they spend, they become sort of bitter and angry and spend more most of their time uh, seducing or calling to sailors so that they can come to their death. Yeah. So there's some really interesting, um, some really interesting ideas. Yeah, that happen. Uh, later on, uh, there Leonardo da Vinci actually writes about the sirens. He says um, the sirens sing so sweetly that she lulls the mariners to sleep, which we just talked about, and then she climbs upon the ship and kills the sleeping mariners. Yeah. Um, and so there's a. This idea, you know, so one of the things I think in our modern modern world is that we have, like if you've watched Pirates of the Caribbean, that's the first reference that comes to mind. Um, the, the men are seduced by the beauty and sexuality of the sirens. And so they, they, there's a lustfulness there. There's seduction there that is the men swim or go in, jump into the sea um, to have, let's say, sex with the sirens or the mermaids, um, what's really fascinating about the ancient sources or the late or the early sources is that the men are seduced to sleep. So they hear the song, they may jump in the water or they may just literally fall asleep. And so then their ship wrecks on the islands with the cliffs. So uh, a really interesting little slight nuance in the difference there. Uh, Perhaps as we move forward through time, you know, sexuality becomes more and lust becomes more and more of an obsession. Uh, but really fascinating that the men are called to sleep in a way or lulled to sleep uh, rather than the men are called for some sort of sexual favors. And so what is this connection between birdsong and women's bodies? And so here on the screen, I have a couple of examples and you could Google sirens or Greek sirens and see these examples yourself, but a couple of examples of artifacts in which you could see sort of a pigeon, uh, perhaps. Yeah. I would say mostly it looks like a pigeon. Most of the birds look similar to a pigeon, pigeon body complete, but with a woman's head. And so there is this very interesting, again, fascination with, um, these half human, half animal creatures, particular for the Greeks, but of course, later on for all of us, there is this, there's this fascination of humans to associate ourselves with creatures. And you can think of this in any way that you want in the sense that this is a mythological function, this is a mythological creature. But think of all the, like even Frankenstein, and think of all the inter and, and all the science sort of horror films and horror stories in which scientists are now trying or were trying to create sort of half human, half some animal um, interspecies breeding. So it's almost like what happened in mythology and creatures in stories was trying to be 
duplicated or replicated in real life through science. And of course, those are all sort of horror stories because none of that works. But there's this fascination with humanity and animalistic traits, literally, right? Uh, so sirens were, were are quite fascinating. And the other thing that's really fascinating is the fact that they sing you to sleep in the same way, I think, that a mother sings a child to sleep um, in the same way that we think about song as a way. So, and imagine that the Greeks listen to everything in song in a way, you know, so Homer um, is singing, right? The Odyssey and the Iliad. Um, so, so song has a very powerful and transformative power, right? Or energy. And even today, people talk about how music changes their their mood or their, yeah, their mood or their energy. And even today, if you think about women singing or men singing that have a beautiful voice that make us sort of stand there in awe. So there's something about song and hypnosis, Right. And this is exactly what happens with the sirens. The sirens are hypnotizing the men with their song. Uh, like I said, later on, they start to hypnotize men with their bodies too. But in this case, especially as a bird, as these images you see here, there's, you know, there's no sexual attraction um, for most people. <laughs> uh, so, and so the song itself, right? The song itself is the thing that, that lulls you into your own death and destruction. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, um, I'm just going to pull up my notes on um, the Argonauts and, uh, where am I? The Argonauts and Odysseus and how, I don't know if I made notes on that, so I might just tell you the story. Maybe I, I, Yep. No, I didn't make notes on that. That's okay. I'll just tell you the story. So, because they're not very long. Uh, the story on the Argonauts is that, so, yes. So the Argonauts are traveling by the same space, actually, that later on Odysseus will travel uh, through. And for them, it's actually a simpler story because they have Orpheus. And Orpheus is this young beautiful, fantastic singer. Actually, this works very well with what I just said about song. And so Orpheus is such a stunning and incredible singer. Uh, and, and his voice is so powerful and influential that as they pass by the cliffs of the sirens and their sirens are singing, um, Orpheus plays uh, his instrument and sings. And the beauty of his voice and the power of his voice protects the Argonauts from hearing the song of the sirens and uh, falling to their death. Uh, similarly, well, perhaps not similarly because Odysseus is always a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, well, I do have, okay, I do have Odysseus's, sorry, I do have Odysseus's story. Uh, let me read you Odysseus' story because I like story time. So Odysseus also passes by this area. And remember when we looked at the, the episode on Circe, that Circe warns him about the sirens, right? Um, so Odysseus makes up his mind to leave Aea, heads back to Ithaca. And Circe has to let him go and says, uh, first you will come to the sirens, she told him, who enchant all who come near them. 
if anyone unwarily draws in too close and hears the singing of the sirens, his wife and children will never welcome him again, home again, for they sit in a green field and warble him to death with the sweetness of their song. So you'll never make it home. It's not going to happen. They're going to sing you to death. There was only one way for a sailor to pass the sirens unharmed, and that was by not hearing their song. And so Circe advised Odysseus to stuff their ears with beeswax. But for himself, yeah, because Odysseus always has to know everything, um, he opted for a more riskier solution. So he had himself bound to the mast of the ship, instructing his sailors to tie him even tighter if he starts begging them to be unfastened or tries to break loose himself. And so Odysseus didn't want to miss the opportunity to experience the song of the sirens. As enchanting as their singing was, the sirens um, were unable to get Odysseus to break free because his uh, comrades um, kept, kept him tied down no matter how much he beat against it. And so this is really where um, we are said that we're told that the sirens die because it is said that the sirens were fated to die if any mortal should hear them sing and live to tell the story. And so once Odysseus passed them unharmed, they were so disheartened by their humbling defeat that they hurled themselves into the sea and never bothered another man again. Now, the reason why they didn't do that when the Argonauts passed by and also, well, I mean, and I'm making, I'm kind of interpreting this because when the Argonauts passed by as well and Orpheus was singing, they also did not uh, fall prey to their song. But there's a couple of explanations for why they didn't kill themselves for the Argonauts. One is that the Argonauts actually didn't hear their song because Orpheus was singing. And so they were um distracted by that but there was one one um more sensitive argonauts um on on the argonauts crew his name was butes butes of athens and he actually jumped overboard jumped overboard and started swimming towards them but aphrodite uh who was protecting the argonauts took him uh, saved him from the water and then actually took him as a lover she fell in love with him and she bore him a son called eryx and so the reason that the sirens then don't fall to their death after that is because in a way they were successful. And so in one way they weren't heard and then in, and they were heard by this one individual, but then Aphrodite uh, became involved. And so this is, you know, my interpretation of why, but with Odysseus, because he heard their song and he was not able to, or not, let's say not tempted enough in quotation marks, but he was literally not able to go to them. Um, that had completed sort of their, their, the rules around their living and dying. And so they were so devastated that this one guy actually heard their song and did not jump off the cliff or jump off the boat that they themselves then threw themselves off the cliff to their own destruction. And we're told by Homer that they never bothered anyone again. And so you have to ask yourself, well, okay, so what happens to the entire history of sirens and mermaids, right? I mean, if these sirens died after this year's passed by, what happens to the rest of the, what, where do we get so many of the sirens and mermaids? And so uh, that's what we're going to look at next. Yeah. But first I want to talk about the, 
the Siren of Canusa, which is just a short story, but a really fascinating uh, figure. So this is an artifact, actually, and, and you could just Google it if you're not watching this right now. Uh, it's a really beautiful artifact, actually, of a half woman, half bird with wings. Um, and this is an artifact that was said to be buried among the dead uh, to guide them into the afterlife journey. Okay, it's a terracotta figure. It's about dates to about 340, 300 BCE. It has the it has bird feet uh, and bird wings and even a tail, a bird tail. And then has sort of, uh, she's wearing this, she's painted white, which is really lovely. And you can find this sculpture in Madrid at the National Museum of Madrid in Spain. But what's really fascinating about this particular artifact that I wanted to share with you is this connection to Persephone, this connection to the afterlife and to death, and furthermore, the, the, the prophetic connection that sirens have. So remember how we talked about how they can tell the future or the past. And so in, in a way, they were buried as um, guides into the afterlife or to the afterlife journey, which is really, really fascinating. Uh, because, again, sort of random connection here, uh, that the sirens who were luring men to their death also become a physical artifact that is put in, in, in grave sites or in burials to help guide the individual into the afterlife. And so this, of course, is because of their connection to Persephone. And since the Persephone is the queen of the underworld, it makes sense that these maidens that were there when she was taken, but did not help her, okay, and were punished, become um, the connection between the living and the dead. And so they, so sirens, or this siren in particular of Kenosa and artifacts like this, are said to guide the dead into the afterlife. So that's that's kind of cool, I think. That again, I mean, if we're talking about a, a larger application, uh, one of my, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about because I'm thinking about Persephone a lot for this retreat workshop um, in London coming up is the association of women and death because we've talked about how women are there for the birth of course and the creation and all of those things but women were also responsible for many thousands of years uh for burial for um cleaning the body for wrapping the body for preparing the body in any way um they were part of the death rituals and because women were seen as naturally connected to the source you know the universal source the divine source and sometimes they refer to the women's bodies are referred to as the gateways between this life and the source or the divine source. They were often, of course, participants in burial rites or death rites. And so it's not an accident that Persephone becomes the goddess or the queen of the underworld, that there is a female representation in the underworld. And if you know about Norse mythology, for example, and you know about hell, um, you know, she is the, the I dare say, the Hades um, of that pantheon. You know, I know she's a little more complicated and there's other gods in there, but it's fascinating to me that there is this, this female representation um, and connection of women around death. 
And for example, recently, one of my very good friends had her grandmother passed away at an, at an old age. She was 99 years old. And the again, the women in her family were the ones in charge of um, the, the burial, the funeral, the all the, the whole process, and not physically the way they used to be in the sense that now in a funeral home, someone else washes the body and prepares the body. But still, the women in the family chose the clothing to be buried in. Uh, they chose the casket, they chose everything, you know, and so in, in some ways, when when my friend was going through this very sad uh, uh, time, I thought to myself, and with her mother and sister and all the women in her family, and I thought to myself, this is what women have been doing for a long time have always been doing in a way is that they are part of the death rituals. Um, and so to bring it back to the sirens, you know, this is one of the aspects that I find fascinating is that again, a siren is taking the, the soul, let's say to the underworld and the queen of the underworld is there to welcome them. Okay. So now we come to the age old questions how do sirens become mermaids, right? And how did sirens become mermaids? How did how did this transition happen? Um, and we start to see it actually. I mean, many scholars believe it's sort of on that change between uh, what's referred to as pagan, and I say that in quotation marks, and uh, Christian belief. And so, of course. Uh, when we're looking, we're looking sort of in the third, fourth century CE, as Christianity begin, begins to be an organized religion that is then sort of smashing, excuse me, all other religions around it in order to gain its own its own power and its own control. One of the things that happens, of course, is that all creatures of the ancient world become demonized in some way or become demonic or you know, and, and actually, sorry, that takes me on a little side rant with uh, the term de demon or daemon. Um, I don't know if you guys are watching House of the Dragon, but I am and I'm absolutely adoring it and loving it. And of course, uh, you can probably surmise that daemon is uh, one of my favorite as well. He's a favorite. He has become a favorite for everyone. Um, and as a reader of the books and a watcher of the terrible eighth season. Um, I'm fascinated by the way that, how do I say this? The way that ancient mythology plays such a key role in our modern day fantasies um, or fantasy literature. And a lot of people talk about Daemon and Daemon and Daemon. And I've seen a lot on TikTok lately about how Daemon's name, oh, literally his name means demon. And it's like a yes and no, because of course, Daemon's, and I think I've mentioned this before, Daemon's to the Greeks were intermediary beings. And so they were these beings that were neither Olympians or gods, nor were they humans. And they were intermediary in the sense that they served a role they were sort of like servant to the gods but helpers of humans if that makes sense so in fact there's nothing evil about them at all i mean some of them could be good or bad I and mean, that was depending on which daemon you're talking about i would say that the sirens themselves were a type of daemon okay and, and the reason i say that again is because in a way they're immortal 
they're not gods. But in the case, as we've just seen, they take humans into or to the gods, let's say, let's say if we're talking about taking humans to Persephone, who is a god, um, they play that intermediary role. But they're not, they're, they're, they're not evil. They're not, I mean, when they sing for the sailors, they could be seen as evil. But when they're taking or guiding a soul to the underworld, they're not necessarily evil. And they're not, shouldn't be viewed as evil. You, in fact, they're viewed as protectors. And we've seen this with Medusa too, when she's a protector, uh, not a demonic or evil creature, unless like, you know, you upset her or you try to go into her cave. And so, sorry, the reason why I bring that up and the way that I connect that to what happens to mermaids is that because within Christianity, um, these daemon divinities become associated to, with demons and demons become associated with like the devil or satanic cults or whatever, everything becomes evil. And then of course, that means that the sirens are evil. And of course, that means that everything is evil. Uh, that is not angelic, let's say. And even the very term angels and demons is wrong because angels and demons are all daemons, if that makes sense, because they are all intermediary beings, okay? So to the Greeks, there would be no, and that's why so many of them have wings, right? Um, because to the Greeks, there was no differentiation in that way of angels and demons. They were all daemons and just some were good and some were more caused more uh, problems or whatever. And um, and so sirens could be seen as daemons. Yes. Is that evil? Not necessarily. But within Christianity, they become automatically evil because they're associated with this name. And so um, they're seen as malevolent beings, as, as terrible or bad beings. Yeah. And there is some primary... No, let's not get there yet. There is some primary text um, that I can bring in sort of so that you could see what I'm talking about. Uh, for example, um, the priest, confessor, theologian Jerome used the word si siren to translate the Hebrew word tenim, meaning jackals, in Isaiah 13.22. And as he did to the word, or as it happened to the word owl, in Jeremiah 50, 39, uh, when he produced the Latin Vulgate, description of the scriptures. Um, Ambrose, who was a bishop of Milan, explained this to be a mere symbol or allegory for worldly temptations and not an endorsement of the Greek myth. So what happens is Christian writers, early writers, begin to associate these creatures or these, these words uh, with temptation, with the way that you should not be going. And particularly, of course, don't go worshiping those Greek gods or their Greek creatures or their Greek mythologies. And so um, early Christian theologians spent a lot of time transforming the language around these so-called daemons or intermedi intermediary divinities. Yeah. Uh, later on, about 560 to 600, um, in a book called The Etym 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 Etymologies of Isidore Saville, um, Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, says, they, the Greeks, imagined that there were three sirens, 
part virgins, part birds. Again, I don't know that they were virgins, but the Christians like to say that. With wings and claws, one of them sang, another played the flute, and a third the lyre. They drew sailors decoyed by song to shipwreck. According to the truth, however, they were prostitutes who led travelers down to poverty and were said to impose shipwreck on them. They had wings and claws because love flies and wounds. They are said to have stayed in the waves because a wave created Venus. What? Okay. So you see how small pieces of documentation become obsessive cultural norms. So first he describes them, okay? And he says, oh, they're part virgins, which is already a problem, okay? Uh, and then he says, oh, they're playing, they played these, these instruments, which they did not play instruments. They were singing anyways. And that's how they drew their sailors. Then he says, oh, no, no, that was wrong too. Even though, he, I, can't, I can't even go with Ambrose here, even though he's originally wrong, but he goes, no, no, no. But they were prostitutes, prostitute bird women. What? The imagination of some of these early writers is fascinating. And the, these prostitutes led the travels to poverty, okay? And, and, and you know, wrecked their ships. And they had wings and claws because love flies and wounds. So again, of course, this is a commercial for abstinence, right? Don't fall in love because it flies and wounds, right? And then he connects them. They are said to have stayed in the waves because a wave created Venus. So, right? They go. He goes from birds and virginal women to prostitutes to sta staying in the waves to Aphrodite, Venus, okay? Now, remember, when we looked at Aphrodite, it is true that Aphrodite does is born from the waves, Right. So you see here a little connection already, sort of that first initial ding that connects in the weird way. I know it makes no sense to you. It makes no sense to me either. How how these creatures go from virginal birds to prostitutes to some some creature living in the water. But he does it. He says it there. Um, and so. You can see how. Yeah. Uh, there is this connection here between. um these early bird creatures all of a sudden now to Aphrodite. And of course, Aphrodite is the goddess of love and sex, especially for Christians who didn't really understand her complexities. And so in many ways, um, this becomes one of, one of the ways in which Greek bird women sirens become associated with European fish women mermaids. It's one of the ways. But I'm going to show you that there are lots of ways around the world that this happens, okay? For example, Roman uh, writers, um, they actually described Forces, who is a primal sea god, primordial sea god, sorry. He was depicted as a fishtail merman with crab legs, four legs, and red spiked skin. Uh, and he was cited for the Romans as some of the sirens of ancient Greek mythology. So there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of overlap. Um, and people are fascinated with these bird singing women. Um, but, and and the, I guess the fact that their islands are sort of surrounded by water 
they somehow imagine them then connected to water. And then once that connection is made to water, they suddenly become fish people or mer people, right? Um, and so then that that notion of the sirens and the singing overlaps with the notion of fish women singing sailors to death. You see that sort of overlap as it happens, right? And so the two things become assimilated. Um, and then language plays a role because, for example, in French, mermaid is sirena, a sirena. And like I said to you guys, in Romanian, mermaid is sirena. And so we don't have a mermaid term. Um, in Spanish and Italian, too, they use sirena for mermaid. And so there's not two words for the way that I'm differentiating it here for you guys, sirens and mermaids, that works in English. But if I was doing this in Romanian, that would be a very, very complicated, I would have to say fish woman and bird woman, right? Because it'd be very, very complicated um, because we don't have that term um, for uh, for bird, for the differentiation between those si those bodies, those two bodies, yeah. Uh, then the part fish appearance becomes increasingly more popular during the Middle Ages, Clearly, it's a little more sexy. There's a lot more um, shipping that is going on. Literally, there's a lot more naval um, activity that is going on. Um, and so there's a lot more supposed, there's piracy, of course, going on. So there's a lot more supposed sightings of mermaids, people, or mer-like uh, people um, than there is, of course, bird women. You can imagine that, Sailors at sea probably saw more suspicious creatures in the water than they did on the cliffs of some islands they were passing by, right? And so then this becomes more and more, uh, but the song, the song is still the key here, okay? Uh, because it's a weird, it's a weird thing that happens actually, psychologically speaking, because the song remains. And so the sailors, and I don't know if that's because there are the songs of the whales and the dolphins in the water and the other animals in the water. So when you're out at sea for years and years, you hear a great deal of song. And so then that becomes, excuse me, associated with your familiarity of mythology around singing seductresses. And then that becomes associated, of course, with the mermaids. Um, and so there are there are some really fascinating psychologies that happen there. Um, and I think that sailors, once they associated sirens with actually being in the water and being mermaids, that they just kind of went with that. Uh, the other thing that that may have influenced this tradition of mermaids or fish women is the goddess Atagartis. Atagartis, yeah. So the first mention in human history of a human figure with a fishtail is, is very old, 5000 BCE, part of the Babylonian mythology in which the god Ea, Ea uh, is described as having a body of both a man and a fish. The Greeks knew Ea by his name Oannes, uh, and in some Semitic tribes, he was called Dagon or Dagon. But he was not a mermaid, right? Um, he was more, I would refer to him maybe more as a triton. But the first appearance of mermaids in sort of human mythology and culture occurs about 1000 BCE 
in Assyria, which is present day Syria, plus a bit of Northern Iraq. In this mythology of Assyria and the Assyrian pantheon, uh, the fertility goddess is Atergatis. Uh, she becomes a mermaid after, after casting herself into a lake. Okay. Um, and her story goes, she casts herself into a lake this way. She, she falls in love with a mortal shepherd and has a daughter, the legendary Syrian queen uh, Semiramis, with her lover. Um, but her lover does not survive the lovemaking with the god. Yeah. And, of course, she cannot die. And so in her sadness as a goddess, after killing her lover and after giving birth to their child, she throws herself into the sea. But since she cannot die, uh, she is transformed into a fish. And so she remains, she keeps her uh, feminine beauty and so her human beauty, but she has a fish tail instead of legs. Um, and they, and some experts say that this is actually part of the Syrian custom um, where they don't eat fish. So you tell me, I'm not sure, uh, I hadn't heard of that before, but apparently there was an ancient Syrian custom in which they did not eat fish because in reverence to Atergatis. Uh, and then Atergatis, believe it or not, and you could see this connection, becomes associated with the Greek Aphrodite because you remember that Aphrodite comes out of the water. Now the Assyrians, of course, predate the Greeks. Um, and so, well... Yes. Okay. So they, they, mm, they, their cultural stories, let's say, predate the Greeks. Okay. Um, and so Atagartis then becomes associated with Aphrodite um, and she is incorporated into Greek mythology. And so this idea, of course, that Aphrodite comes out of the water, then you can see how that's connected later on by Christians who connect the sirens somehow to the waves and then to Aphrodite. Blah, 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 right it's like it's like a mix and mash but out of this mix and mash come this very powerful cultures of mermaids the greeks did have a concept of mermaids but they didn't call them sirens per se they had uh nereids they had tritons and of course uh thessaloniki which i'm going to tell you about which was the sister of alexander the great um but the greeks idea of nereids triton tritons and mermaids um, is uh, a little more about sea nymphs. So sea nymphs were often portrayed with having fish tails and at times legs. So it depends on, on the depiction. And we're told that there were like 50 Nereids, all the daughters of Nereus and Doris, and they inhabited the Aegean Sea with their parents. Uh, for example, Thetis, the mother of Achilles, was a Nereid. Um, and Amphritidae, who was married to Poseidon and bore Triton, is also a Nereid. Um, and so Nereus, who was the father of all these Nereids, was a Titan um, and the oldest son of Pontus, who is the god of the sea and Gaia, the earth. Okay, And, he, and Pontus was considered the old man of the sea. Um, and he was often, sorry, uh, Nereus was often considered the old man of the sea and was depicted with a human body and fish-like tail. So I've, I've placed a map here, a little bit of a uh, genealogy map, um, if you're watching this on YouTube. If not, it's okay. It just kind of shows the way that everybody sort of interacts. But the end result is that these two 
were these two primordial deities were the parents of Triton and Triton, so mermaids and mermen. And in fact, when I went to Malta in the center of Valletta, I don't know if you've seen this on my social media, but in the center of Valletta, there's the, the most beautiful um, fountain of three, I think it's three Triton, massive Triton males. Um, it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. So this this um, tradition of mermen as Tritons did have some origins in the Greek text, but not sirens per se, right? So again, you can see sort of the mix up here. I mean, in one way, it doesn't make sense because bird women to fish women is a bit difficult, is a bit different. And even the Greeks had them separated. But you can see that later people who perhaps were not quite as um, educated or learned in Greek mythology and the specifics around that, you could see how those, those things get mixed up. So um, I wanted to leave you before we move into the after the podcast and we talk about the Starbucks mermaid, which is so out there, okay? And it's demonic associations. I have no words. But anyways, before we do that, um, I thought that I would... Um, tell you about some of the mermaids across the world. So there's a fantastic coffee book called Mermaids of the Earth by Philip Jepson. And so if you're interested in mermaids, please feel free to both visit his website and also purchase his coffee book. Um, but I was going, I'm going to, so he writes extensively about mermaids across the world, but I just wanted to mention a few of them to you um, and see if maybe your own culture if you see your own culture here or or a neighboring culture here where you've heard of some of these mermaids. So um, here are some mermaids across the world um, or some traditions of fish women and mermaids around the world. So in Scottish mythology, for example, includes the sea eggs. I don't know if I'm saying that right. The maid of the wave, which was the form of a woman above the waist and the tail of a salmon below the waist. Siesk can grant three wishes to anyone who captures them, right? Cool. Both Ireland and Scotland also have tales of the marrow, which are human above the waist and have fish tails below and have webbed hands. They are benevolent and at time intermarry with humans taking human shape while on land. They wear a red cap while in the sea, which enables them to breathe underwater. If you hide this cap from them, they will stay with you on land. Fascinating. Um, the Isle of Man has the Ben Very mermaids, who can be both dangerous and helpful. Uh, other Scotland and the Faroe Islands have legends of myths of the Selkies. You may be more familiar with Selkies because I think they make it into a lot of fantasy fiction. Um, they live in the they live in the ocean in the shape of seals, um, and they can shed their seal skin and live as humans. Um, and we also see this actually in lots of indigenous traditions and tribal cultures that live near water. They can be trapped on land if their human lover or husband hides their seal skin. And there are numbers of stories about the tragedies of such relationships. Okay. Um, and so if you hide a selkie's seal skin, she may stay with you, but usually she dies or ends up killing you. So perhaps not. In mainland Europe, there's a folklore about Melusine. Now, Melusine is actually connected to the Starbucks logo, which I'm going to talk about later in the after podcast. Melusine is a freshwater mermaid, sometimes with wings as well, sometimes with a snake tail instead of a fish tail, and sometimes with two tails. Yeah. 
she's said to have married a human, but once a week she transformed into a mermaid while taking a bath. When her husband broke the agreement never to enter her bathing chamber while she was bathing, he saw her in her mermaid form and she left him forever. And the Melusine story exists in numerous uh, legends, local legends around anywhere in mainland um, Europe. Um, there is a separate, there's a, so there, there's different versions, but another version of the Melusine um, mermaid story is that she married a prince, Prince Raymondine of Poitou. And with him, she formed the house, the royal house of Lusignan. Uh, however, this is the foundation story or the origin of the illustration showing a mermaid with a crown. Yeah. So there's, there's a little more there that I want to talk about later. Um, that has to deal with how is she demonic then? And how does the demoness, how does the demoness in her connect to great coffee? <laughs> uh, there's other, for example, other in German legends include Undine, a freshwater sprite who is immortal yet has no soul. And she can obtain a soul by marrying a human and bearing him a child. So there's lots of story. Undine is actually quite a cute story. Um, and in fact, actually, Melusine and Undine are part of the two stories that created the Little Mermaid. Uh, now, you know, this, in the story of the Little Mermaid, uh, she, it's the mermaid that falls in love with a human prince, and she gives up her her um, voice and tail to become human and and get a human soul. Now, in in Disney, of course, everything happens wonderfully, and everybody lives ever after. Uh, but I'm about to spoil The Little Mermaid for you. So if you don't want to hear it, plug your ears for two minutes. Okay. In, of course, the original story of The Little Mermaid, um, The Little Mermaid herself, um, when she's walking on land, it feels like knives are going into her feet, right? So the every every movement is painful. Um, and of course, as some of you who may have read the original um, Little Mermaid story, she gives up her life uh, for the prince. And so she dies in the end. Uh, Disney has made it a different and perhaps better story for children. Uh, but don't forget that fairy tales were not written for children. And so, well, maybe that should be another episode in future podcasts. But, you know, fairy tales were not written for children. And so... Uh, the tragedy of the Little Mermaid was something that resonated with adults. In Russia, the Russians have rusakas, and and rusakas are, are are part of other Eastern European cultures that share some of the traits of sirens and mermaids. Although they do not have a fish tail, they are the ghosts of un or undead remains of women or girls who die tragically or violently and live on the bottom of rivers and lakes. They can be seductive and dangerous, pulling young men into the water. They have perpetually wet hair, and as they would die if their hair dried, and often they carry a comb which allows them to conjure water while on land. They often come out of the water at night and sing in trees and meadows. In China, there are tales of mermaids with webbed feet and hands, while in Cambodia and Thailand have well-known legends of the golden mermaid Suvanamaka, a mermaid princess who falls in love with a human prince and has a child with him. I see a pattern happening here. Yeah, Isn't that fascinating? The same pattern happening over and over all over the world. 
The African mami, mamiwata is a water sprite often shown as a mermaid. And in the Caribbean, they have tales of Ayakaya and La Sirene, both mermaids. Uh, the Majungu, Majungu of the Cameroon are normally said to be beautiful mermaid-like figures with long woolly hair and gap-toothed smiles. They live in rivers and the sea and bring good fortune to those who worship them. In Brazil, there is folklore about Yara, who is a mermaid, a water nymph, uh, or siren, depending on the context of the story. Yara means something or close to lady of the lake or late or water queen. And according to legend, Yara is an immortal freshwater nymph in the appearance of a beautiful young woman with green hair, light skin, who sits on a rock by the river, combing her hair or dozing under the sun. When she feels a man around, she sings to gently lure him to her to live out his life with her under the water. Lastly, although there are many more, uh, in Philippine folklore, uh, mermaids and mermen are known as sirena or siokoi, and they are human above the waist and have fishtails. They can be good or evil. They also sometimes drown sailors after luring them into water with their songs. And other times they rescue soldiers, sailors, uh, if they feel like it. So there's numerous, numerous of these mythologies around the world. Uh, there's also there's also mermaids, of course, in Japanese culture, Korean culture, uh, New Zealand, lots and lots uh, of mer. And you can see you can see the connection here between people or cities or places that are near water. Um, that there is, of course, there's a mystery to the ocean. Of course, there's a mystery to the, the randomness of the sea and the depth of the sea. So it's not a surprise, of course, that as humans, we would imagine these human creatures, human-like creatures living in the water. And like I said, the songs, the noises, the music of the sea also can be associated to sirens. So there's some really fascinating, I think, um, we continue to be fascinated by these figures so much so that I don't know if you guys have seen some of the YouTube videos or the TikTok videos that are out there um, claiming that um, there's real mermaids or mer people being filmed. Now, I've seen some on TikTok and uh, I don't know. I mean, some are very clearly fake. And then there's a couple that I'm almost, there's a guy on TikTok, don't quote me because I can't remember his name. But he's always on a boat and he did this one TikTok and then he get he gets he keeps getting shut down. So I don't know if that's because everything's a fraud or whatever. Uh, but he did this one TikTok that really creeped me out where he's on this boat in like, I don't know, the middle of the ocean and he's filming and you can hear the singing and the singing like and he's he's there like he's kind of saying like he's filming it and then he's like talking to, I guess whatever this creature is and it's replying so he'll say something and the sound or the singing will start and he'll say something and the singing will start it's really really creepy in the sense that it's definitely not a whale or a dolphin um and oh oh and I, maybe you've seen this and he throws something out um into the water and it comes back up on the sea on the on the ship yeah somebody so it looks like someone from the water threw it back up uh now i don't want to like advertise this as uh, uh, evidence that mermaids exist. But I do think we have to keep an open mind, especially considering how little we know about the depth of our oceans. 
uh, and what's in our oceans. I don't think that sirens is, are as romantic. I don't think that mermaids or mer people, should they exist, are as romantic as we make them, you know, in, in Aquaman or, or Marvel or DC Comics um, or in Pirates of the Caribbean with the beautiful uh, mermaids or in other, like the movie, the, the TV show Sirens, uh, where we make aquatic creatures these beautiful semi-humans i if if such creatures exist certainly they would be somewhat horrific i think in appearance um they would be somewhat fish really fish creatures <laughs> um but anyways that so i you know i watch a lot of that on tiktok and i've watched there's a there's a great documentary on uh the sort of conspiracy theory of hiding um the, the one where i don't know if you guys are into sirens or mermaids but there's one where uh they say that the government have a mermaid in a tank i don't know if you've ever seen that video and then um there's like a really scrambly kind of video of it but you could see that someone's definitely in that tank um so I watched that and I watched an explanation for the aquatic ape theory, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but this guy on TikTok with this video really creeped me out because um, it seemed quite genuine. And in fact, I'm starting to think that he has an obsession. And you know, so you know how they say that the song then becomes that you become addicted, that you become called. And so he he really like is now taking his boat out in the ocean, really trying to capture this creature that he feels he's been communicating with for months or I don't know how long. Uh, and so I'm a little bit committed to his story. <laughs> but that really creeped me that like the sounds was quite like, look seemed quite genuine. Anyways, I don't know if there are more people in the water. But I would not be surprised if tomorrow uh, we find out that they are. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. And so I'll leave you with that. I suppose, uh, I'll leave you with that. Uh, uh like I said, we're going to do the, after the podcast, we're going to look at is Starbucks, is the Starbucks logo demonic or just delicious? <laughs> uh, so I will post this, uh, part of the pot, this, this part of our discussion on Patreon, uh, sometime tonight. As well, for, for those of you who follow me, so we'll have some great fun with this. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me. I want to say thank you to all of you who joined me today. And I hope that you've enjoyed this um, podcast or this episode on, on sirens and mermaids. I think that we could probably do um, almost a month of mermaids just sort of going around the world to see what different cultures, uh, stories have developed or different cultural traditions have developed. But one of the things that I find fascinating is the repetitive idea that there are mermaids or merpeople, and that particularly in the case of mermaids, they come on land to seduce men to have children um, and to kind of create a life for themselves. So that's kind of fascinating to me because if I was a mermaid, I don't know if my priority would be finding a guy and having a kid, you know? Um, but, you know, who knows? The grass is always green on the other side, they say, right? Uh, so thank you so much for joining me. Uh, again, thank you so much for supporting my my podcast. And please feel free to submit any questions on social media or on here on YouTube um, for the final 
for the final podcast episode or for the finale of the season next week. I'm very, very excited to answer your questions. I hope that you'll tune in to um, to hear some of the questions. I hope I answer them all well. <laughs> And to your satisfaction, you've got me out there uh, doing some work and thinking about things. So thank you. Thank you so much for all of that. And uh, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week and, and have a great Friday. Bye all.